The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. And as I say Financial Planners South Africa, I realize that maybe this episode is a bit of an exception. Um, someone wearing, I guess, two flags. <laughs> uh, today in the studio, I have with me Vincent Hayes. Vincent uh, was born and bred South African and has had a very interesting journey. I won't give away all of the excitement. Vincent, thank you so much so much for joining me today all the way from canada hey louis thank you so much it's a privilege to be on your show today thank you so much this um this recording has had a few challenges uh we've had some false starts and uh we got to got to get to know each other a little bit better during the calls and actually we we worked and lived very close to each other physically within within durbanville um in cape town for the listeners that don't know it's right at the end of South Africa. Vincent, your move to Canada, can you give us a little bit of a background of what prompted that and how you went about exploring this potential move while you were still in South Africa? Hey Louis, yeah, as um, as some of the people might know that follow me on LinkedIn, we we just got our citizenship uh, 2 weeks ago uh, in Canada and uh yeah, so we we took a very long time to get settled. To be honest, and you know, it took us fifteen years. Now, I I don't normally get people that take that long to move from country to country, you know. But um, in our case, we've um, we basically decided to move to Canada in two thousand and seven, just before the crash, um, and uh, a month before we started seed investments with my colleague Ian DeLange in South Africa. And so uh, we just put the applications in, not knowing exactly what's going to happen in the future. But um, 10 years later, 2017, uh, we actually moved to, uh, to Toronto. And uh, five years later, we've, we've um, eventually got to the place where we get uh, passports and citizenship. So it's been a long journey for us, you know, but um, uh, that's just the way uh, it planned out for us. And so for other families, it's obviously a lot quicker. But um, it's like, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. Absolutely. And hopefully we can unpack that a little bit today. But before we get to this move 
to Canada. You mentioned um, the starting of a business seed investments, and maybe this is something you know or don't know, but actually my mother-in-law used to work in your team, Helena Ruiz. So um, there, there is a connection, but tell us a bit of how that business came about and why you picked that time. And you know, coincidentally, that's when I started my career as well. And looking back, it was maybe a great time to start a business. Yes, Luina, thank you. Uh, I didn't know that, so that's um, that's quite quite interesting. Yeah, we had a uh, Elena just uh, join us just after we've started Seed, and um, so the reason for for that business was, you know, I I also started in the investment business by default. Uh, moved back from uh, the UK in, uh, just at the turn of the century, two thousand. Moved back to South Africa and and started working for. A company called Novare um, in in Cape Town, uh, managing fund of hedge funds for them, and um, so my partner and I, Ian Delanger, we we thought, no, you know, we we want to start something on the investment side, but let's do it on the private clients and not uh, for trustees of pension funds. So uh, so the really the focus there was to uh, twofold to give um, private clients investment advice, uh, but then also see how we could manage those portfolios for them. And so right from the start, we kind of did a DFM solution for clients and then eventually became uh, it became unit trust and mutual funds in South Africa and abroad. And, and as you know, you know, like any investment business, it's a tough business. You know, it's not, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. Um, and you need distribution. You know, so any fund manager, any DFM solution, there's always a problem about uh, distribution. And um, so what also what is interesting is uh, part of that, you know, we were giving uh, investment advice and portfolio management solutions for clients. And we realized, but listen, you know, we look after a portion of the client's portfolio, uh, but the client normally has a bunch of other investments. And let's start reporting on that for the clients. Holistically, and so we did that um, really by macros on a spreadsheet in the beginning. You know, getting files from uh, Alan Gray and Stanlip and Glacier and put the files into an Excel spreadsheet and run macros, and then eventually we said, "No, this is just going to be too much." You know, and so five years later, that was the start of uh, Seed Analytics um, with the guys there, Tim and Derek and Kevin, and uh, that was another journey. Really interesting. They always say scratch your own itch. And it sounds like you found a irritation point within your business and said other people also have this irritation and, and let's turn this into business. So are you a serial entrepreneur by heart or do you just like creating new things that would be helpful to other other people in our profession? Yeah, I mean, I think a serial is is quite a extensive big um, <laughs> big word. I won't I won't classify myself as that, but I do like um, I I do like uh, finding solutions, you know, for myself, and then mm. and then sometimes it kind of plans out that other people have the same problem uh, uh, and so on. But you know what? There's a there's a ton of things that we can do for clients, and I think to a large extent, if we just keep on focusing what the client want to see. You know, it's it's um, it's a lot easier from a business perspective to run your own processes. You know what your process is like and what your product is like. Um, but sometimes it's quite difficult to put yourself in the client's position. You know, what does the client want to see? You know, yes, okay, you're managing a portfolio, giving advice, but you know, how do they want to see that advice coming through, or how do they want to see their investment portfolio? And I think it was that kind of thing. You know, to say, well, okay. 
uh, when we speak to clients, they actually want to see all the stuff in one place. You know, they don't want to go and get the Alan Gray statement and the Glacier statement separately and whatever. And um, and so then we found that the advisors want to have the same kind of thing, you know, that they want to see the stuff in one place and have data in one place and, and don't have to go and log in on all the different platforms. So I think the challenge for the whole industry really is we need to make sure that we always go back to the end line, you know, and, and I'm always inspired by by the Apple story. You know, it's just like always, you know, I think we spoke about it um, Louis, previously, you know, is that if we compare the difference between an, an iPhone and the old Nokia telephones, you know, I always go back to that analogy, you know, like 15 years ago, you buy or get your Nokia phone on a contract and they, and they used to give you this fat book of, of, of do's and what you have to do with the phone, you know, uh, how to send a text message and how to send an email and to sync it back to your computer. I don't know if you remember those days to actually plug your phone into your computer and then sync it, you know, and I will never forget the first time I got my first iPad, you know, open the box and I took the iPad out of the box and kind of looked for where's the manual, you know, and there was no manual and it was just like an eye opening experience, you know, and, and so if we can just, Draw that kind of analogy back to the end lines. You know, how do we engage with end lines so that they don't they don't have to ask the questions. You know, they don't need to look for the terms and conditions and et cetera, et cetera. And that's quite a tricky thing. You know, that's that's why you don't have that many Apple companies in the world. You know, because it's tough. You know, to to put yourself on the feet of the client. So, Vincent, you mentioned two things there. The one is keeping the client center to what we do saying how does this impact the client but also how do we create our services and 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 essentially some products as a service intuitive enough for someone to use maybe on their own and explore mm. and so let's maybe start with that first component of kind of giving a seat to a client at the at the table to make sure that they're top of mind how would you even if you started a new business today how would you ensure that that takes place like what are the principles that you think is necessary in a business to to have that yeah louis i think it's um you know the way that i normally work is ask a lot of questions you know and be open-minded uh in terms of speaking to clients and present a solution to them always to have that attitude of of learning and that attitude of of you know how can i do better um, with a product or solution that we put in front of the client and also have the mindset of, you know, how can you scale this thing to a level that when you speak to client number 200, it's the same experience as the client number five. I mean, I, I often listen to a podcast from Guy Raj where he interviews, you know, entrepreneurs. And I will never forget this one interview that he had with a lady that were making cookies, for example, you know, and he just asked her, you know, okay, so it's not that difficult to make, you know, a dozen cookies super nice, you know, so good that you actually want to go back. But how do you make thousands of cookies nice, you know, that people come back? And I think that that to some extent is is the th is the is the problem case is how do we how do we present a solution to the client which is customized to the client, but it's um, in such a way that we can replicate the solution for another client individualized, but that the client experience is, is the same. And so um, 
So I think part of it is to go through a process of understanding how do I get to the to the solution? How do I present it to the, to the client? And how can I repeat the process in such a way that I can manage not 10 clients, but 2,000 clients on the same basis? And that's not that easy. You know, it's, it's a lot easier from a product perspective. But as you would know, you know, on the service side, it's not that easy to do, you know. Your scaling advice, it's something that I think is this thing that's constantly moving away from us. And, and the more we explore it, I almost find like that clients don't want to be scaled and that they want to feel like the only client. And so creating that experience of, wow, how do you service all these clients? Because you must have hundreds of clients. Yeah. The way we've approached it is to literally just limit the amount of clients we work with. But I mean, that's not practical for everyone. So when we're talking about this idea of scaling advice, which elements in a business do you think leans itself more towards being scalable, specifically a financial planning business, and which elements not? Yeah, I think, you know, what I've seen with giving advice in South Africa then started the analytics business and moved to Canada, went back to advice, which I completely didn't think I was going to do, you know. So I really had to pivot <laughs> in, that, in that sense. Full circle. <laughs> but, um, yeah, full circle. And then going back to the place, okay, you know, I've learned a lot of things this last four or five years from an advice perspective again. And how do we bring it into a process that's scalable? So I do think that um, that there is a way to scale advice, I would say, for middle-class employees, where we normally have the same kind of goals for clients, it becomes a lot more complicated when you work with business owners, especially in Canada, you know, where there's a lot more things you can do for a client other than very cookie cut goals. And maybe in your case, you know, where you work with widows and uh, widowers from a planning perspective, which is very niche. So I think when it's, um, I don't want to use the word run of the mill because then it kind of sounds like, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of people are, mm -hmm. you know, are all the same, which is not the case. You know, each client has their own specific needs, as you would know, you know, what direction they want to go and where the focus is specifically for their, for their needs and their lifestyle. But having said that, um, you know, the more I speak to clients and maybe just normal middle class people, you know, a lot of those goals are very similar, you know, um, Yes, we do sit with an education goal. Yes, we, we have an emergency fund that we need to look after. Obviously, you know, retirement is always there. You know, it's going to change the way that we think about retirement, but that's always there. And then, uh, you know, your, your life insurance and disability and critical illness is naturally there. Your, your health from a medical fund perspective, as well as your, your wills and power of attorneys and taxes and death. You know, it, it just depends the size of them. It depends on when it becomes important for the clients. You know, uh, you know, my kids are getting to the stage of moving out of the house. So my goals might be a little bit different to the guy, you know, that's um, with younger kids. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think there's a, there's a way to, um, to scale advice, but at the same time, if you have the right technology is to make it really specialized and individualized for each client. And so I think that combination of the human element plus your good technology, uh, I think, you know, 
I do think there's a space there that we as an industry can really be very specific and helping clients in that area that that's really useful for them. Because a lot of the stuff that we do as advisors, we can actually automate, to be honest, you know. Uh, so the place that we really add value, we can really focus on. And and that's the personal touch that we can bring to the client um, and, and not worry about the scalability about the processes, but really focus on what does a client need. Vincent, this model of digital health and digital GPs also almost comes to mind where you go to a pharmacy, you have a nurse that maybe assists you or a pharmacist, and then the GP would dial in if needed for a specific component. Are we talking about something similar where the client might be self-directed for a big part of this journey and say, oh, I'm stuck. I need a certified financial planner or I need a specialist or I need someone that will help me figure out this this part. Is is that what we're talking about? Louis, you're the millennial millennial in that discussion, not me. <laughs> I'm a Gen Xer. I'm the I'm part of the generation that's always been forgotten. But you know, I think on the on the millennial side, but okay, so not even millennials, you know, I think Sunlam even five years ago said like fifty percent of their of their people over fifty five um would do their research themselves before phoning their advisor. Okay. So so we 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 are starting to see a normalization of information between financial advisors or financial industry versus the end client. So that information is available. Um, so that happens with clients like over fifty five. I think we get to this stage with millennials where you know they don't want to speak to a financial advisor. They don't want to be face to face to someone uh, for whatever reason. Um, and I think we just need to run in line with where the clients want to you know how they want to interact with us as as industry some of them are super happy just to um you know uh, go online so you face you know not face to face but see you online some clients don't even want to see you online you know they just happy to communi- communicate through technology and and i who knows you know maybe that's the direction that we really have to follow there's a lot of areas in that processing that we can help clients with to make sure that they can follow and self-direct their own things, but still have the channel available if they do want to talk to someone. You know, Schwab in the States, for example, been on that site for quite a long, uh, while, you know, where they, where they have financial advice on a SaaS model and then let the client phone in and charge the client a fee if they actually want to speak to someone, you know. So it's a bit more transactional, obviously, than the traditional way of of going on risk and speak to the client whenever the client wants to. So I think those models will just come through, you know, as the generations follow and get older and see where people kind of move to, you know. I'm almost imagining this kind of choose your own adventure, you know, what whatever you need at this point, there's this channel and you might hop between these different channels depending on your needs. A thing that we often see is that starting point that Often people are just so overwhelmed and they don't know where to start. They don't know where to get going. Like, how do we apply that Apple model to, yeah. hey, here's the iPad, you're opening it up and, and it says hello and you know what, what to do. Like, how do, we, how do we get financial planning to have a similar starting point? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I think it's a very difficult one. I mean, it's one that we often think about within Wallstack and so on is, you know, we think that, you know, clients want to know what their goals are. You know, first of all, that they have money to spend. Okay, uh, so what is a budget? Mm. And so, without a, a budget and knowing what they can spend, they can't get to the goals anyway. So, 
what are the goals? What do I have to get to those goals? And what is the next step? But to automate that in terms of a way, you know, what is the next step for this, for the client uh, is not that easy. It's definitely a challenge. And there's some machine learning stuff that we can do on that side. Um, if you want to scale advice to that level. But um, I think the client wants to know just what is my next step? You know, exactly what you say within the Apple space, you know, click here, that's the next step to do. Um, so I think there's a, there is a challenge there. You know, if, if, uh, if clients want to interact more digitally with us, then we have to feed them digital answers. You know, we can't expect them to do business with us the, the way that we've been you know, taught or our own experience if the client base has moved to a different place. You know? um, and again, it, I think it just comes back to your type of clients that you have, um, Louis. But the other thing is, you know, the, more money that, the more money the client has, the more options they have. You know? So one also needs to realize that, you know, that once a client has more money, they can pay more for advice. And um, so that I think to a larger portfolio or a bigger budget for advice just gets you to a different place as well, you know, um, which is different in the past where we, where clients always got advice kind of for free because of the products that they bought, you know, but that is changing as you know. You know so. Tell us a bit more about Wealthstack. You mentioned it. What is it? Uh, what, how much time do you spend on it? And for people that maybe haven't seen or don't follow you on LinkedIn, Give us the, give us the marketing picture, or tell us what what it's all about. Yeah, thanks, Lee. It's a difficult one to explain, but <laughs> um, you, you know what? It's it's we've seen that um, a couple of things. You have your robo advisors in the market, and and obviously robo advisors digitalize and has um, they have a few algorithms at the back to bring you into the right asset class and then to invest into a portfolio. Uh, you know, just from my own experience as well is that that kind of algorithm and to put people into a good portfolio is not difficult. It's just workflow that you have to implement. You know, um, the tricky part is to have holistic advice uh, uh, digitized and have some algorithms behind it. Um, so that's the one side. So Wallstack provides a holistic dashboard for the end client so that they can see all their goals in one place, uh, insurance, investments, and kind of legacy kind of stuff. And always bring the client back to a single score. So back to that, you know, what is the next step? That's part of it. You know, so let's help the client to understand, you know, what percentage of each goal they've reached. But let's also give them a total wealth score so that they know uh, in terms of their finances, how much they've, uh, you know, um, how much of those goals they've reached. So that's the one side. The other side is always back to this thing of, you know, when we speak to clients, group benefits, for example. 99% of the time, people don't know what benefits they have. And it's just because they don't know. They don't have the information just available. Uh, if you speak to your clients as well, you know, most of them would know, yes, I have these investment accounts, but not really understand where they are and, you know, what it means and so on. So that's part of Wallstack is just to bring all the data, both on the investment side and on, and on the insurance side into one place so that you have your goals, but also link all your products into that thing. Um which is then platform agnostic, it's product agnostic, it's currency agnostic. Um, so you really want to, you know, especially for those guys that are become global citizens, you know, how do I have a single dashboard in the hard currency 
but yet I have products in South Africa, for example, you know, so it's just really a place to bring everything together in one place. And so the, and the third one is client engagement. Uh, you know, we sit with this big bulk of assets that needs to move from one generation to the next. And so, um, and then the, just the question is, how do we make sure that we build a relationship with the kids and the parents? Um, and how can we move money from one generation to the next? Um, and you need to have those those family members on the same platform. Um, and so that's what we kind of just work with and play with and, and, and see what solutions we can come up with. So is this a kind of a direct-to-consumer model that someone would stumble on your website or go through a process and then capture the information themselves? And, and who is this targeted at? Is this Canadian citizens? Is it Americans? Is it South Africans? Or is it really anyone in the world? Yeah, at the moment, we've we've built it just for Canadians or people uh, moving to Canada. It's in Canadian dollars. And, and we follow the Canadian legislation from um, the central pension fund that they also offer. So it's really focused for Canadians. Um, but having said that, we will in the new year change it and the model uh, that we can bring in uh, South Africans into that uh, same place as well. Um, and uh, because we said with the data in South Africa, it's going to be a lot easier to, uh, you know, update those dashboards electronically or automatically. And so in the new year, we we'll definitely will open the gates for um, for South Africans in South Africa. And then um, I guess the next one will be the UK. Uh, in that sense, um, but yeah, so it's end end B two C, the one side, and then also B two B to financial advisors with uh, creating their own dashboards and uh, making the onboarding for them a lot easier for new clients. You know, so that um, when the client phones, it's the next step is you know okay, let's talk about what you have, but you know, can you just onboard yourself? digitally uh, in terms of your goals and needs and these kind of things, you know, so it makes, it just helps with that process with the clients and put them in into the right direction, right from the start in terms of how you're going to engage with those clients going forward. Vincent, I'm, I'm imagining that this could really push down the cost of advice because, you know, a client come in, they bring with their wealth stack and the advisor would look at it and at a glance would probably be able to give some, some starting points and some things to consider or, do we don't do we not even need the advisor in this equation uh louis i always yeah i mean you you you, i think it will drive down the admin cost uh that's the focus you know so that Mm -hmm. the advisor can spend more time in terms of speaking to the clients in terms of what they need Mm -hmm. um it brings everything into one place i think we want to give the clients the opportunity to action certain steps themselves you know whether it's a robo account that they want to open do wills and power of attorneys online. So those are also pretty easy that you can digitize that. Your insurance is always difficult. You know, uh, it's not that straightforward unless if you buy uh, a non-underwritten policy, you know, a simplified one. But normally all the others are pretty difficult to do without someone on the other side. You can complete a form, but you're always going to speak to someone, I guess, you know, to complete the, the medical questionnaires kind of thing. But having said that, you can always link link the commission and the client back to back to the advisor, you know, in that process, because the implementation of the product is not the difficult thing. It's it's about the advice, you know, and how much the client can see the advice themselves, and how much of that advice the advisor needs to help them. So I think it's back to that thing again, you know, is at what point does the client want to speak to the advisor and get advice from them, you know, 
because we, it, there's no need to push down advice to a client because, mm. as you know, you know, a client on average only want, you know, advice in one of those big life moments. And we just want we just want to be in that space when the client needs advice, you know. Uh, yeah, then you can't like, be running around trying to find out where's the information, you know, when the house is on fire. Susan Bradley from the Transitionist Institute always says, when life changes, money changes, and when money changes, yeah. life changes. And that kind of it always always fits in. It's what strikes me is that you mention the complexity around the insurance implementation. Whereas in South Africa, we've seen quite a few players tackle that, you know, like Sunlam Indy that I think have done it fairly successfully where they've managed to simplify the process of obtaining insurance for, I think, as you put it, a kind of a, a more general need or, or a simplified yes. requirement. And, and we think that the investment piece is the more complex piece. Um, and you're saying that in your experience, it's kind of the other way around, whereas the investment part has become commoditized and the insurance is more is more complex yeah i think i th yeah i think just from an implementation perspective i think investments is easier you know it's it's more linear from an implementation perspective uh, obviously the bigger the portfolio and the client has more options then it becomes a bit more complicated again okay so there is a difference between a guy with 10 million rand versus you know half a million rand because your options are just more if you have 10 million because now you can go for a private share portfolio or private equity and hedge funds, for example, where if, if it's half a million, you're pretty much stuck with mutual funds or unit trust, you know? So it is maybe more complicated for those big, big clients, you know, in terms of managing that. But for, I would say for the normal client that sits with uh, retirement annuities, preservation funds, and some discretionary or non, you know, discretionary kind of assets, the process is pretty straightforward. I hear what you say from a insurance perspective. You know, obviously, if it's more simplified, it's it's quick. You can also run it through the mill. You know, it's it's underwritten. Well, if it's not underwritten, it's it's issued pretty quickly. It depends on it depends on the insurance company. You know, how many questions they ask, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it it just kind of feels that there are just too many rider benefits and too many nuances from underwriting perspective. It's not you know. Uh, and each company is different. You know, if you look at maybe Discovery versus Sunlow, you know, it's just like completely different in the offerings. Yeah, um, there's no plain so vanilla insurance no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, you can, that you can yeah. buy. Maybe there's, an, there's a gap in the market. Vincent, you've now built or have been involved in essentially two businesses, you know, two technology businesses, fintech-based, I would say, assuming the one was built in South Africa and the other one built in Canada. What? What was the biggest difference between the two in terms of building it and and your experience? And I realize that it's different time frames, but apart from that, what has surprised you the most? Yeah, Louis, that's a yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. I think the the first thing is just the market is is set up differently in Canada versus South Africa, and it's my also just part of the move to Canada. You know, right in the beginning, the game plan was to bring C learnings over to Canada and to help. Uh, report and put everything into one place for them. And so even though we've done a lot of due diligence coming over and to check out the market, we still didn't fully understand the market. And so the the, the real difference um, between, um, I'm going to answer the question from the technology from a different perspective, but just the markets are very differently set up, you know. So 
in in South Africa, for example, as you would know, you would have a license with four or five different um, admin platforms, and and you can place clients on different platforms. Um, Alan Grain, Glacier, wherever. Whereas in Canada, if you a mutual fund licensed, you only go to one platform. And so there's no need from a consolidation perspective for the client. Yes, the client may have assets with another advisor or with another, his own share portfolio. But from an advisor perspective, everything is in one place. So the need, the need to implement solutions for uh, an advisor is just different because the legislation is set up different. And so that's why uh, it's pretty difficult to move technology or fintech companies across border uh, because the way that legislation is set up is different. You know, now that's on the synalytic side, on the data consolidation level. On the Wallstack side, it's easier in Canada because you can give advice without being licensed, um, not per product, but for a goal. So anyone can give advice to a client um, in the sense of how much do you need for retirement or how much do you need for life insurance, as long as you don't talk about solutions to get to that goal, okay? So that makes it easier again in Canada to have something like Wallstack, which helps clients on the holistic planning side because there's less legislation in that process. But to bring that over back to South Africa again, then you run into problems because now it has to be legislated within within the REA environment, you know. So I, I, I guess it's just the way that to understand your industry or your your market very well to see where the pain points are. And the only way to know the pain points is you have to be in the game. You know, you have to work in that place. And the same thing for you. You know the pain points that uh, widowers go through, you know, because you live it every day. You know, that's the that's your niche that you've carved out and you know exactly what the problems are. And it's easier, you know, for you to address those needs than for anyone else. Yeah, you have to almost jump in. Hey, You can look from the outside and say, oh, this is how I think the challenges would be. But until you're on the ground and experiencing and saying, oh, wow, this is actually, yes, maybe it partly similar but oh our, our plan won't work um why is it that we spend so much time planning and so little jumping in and it's just that fear of of potential failure and i guess we also hear you know you need to spend all this time getting ready and prepare and then the execution is easier but it seems like that uh, that's not always true yeah you know i i i think it just takes a lot of time to understand your clients that you know understand the industry and to have the confidence to say, yes, I've got a solution. And sometimes, sometimes you just have to back yourself and say, well, I've actually have a good solution to offer to this subset of clients and something of value, uh, you know, to, to bring uh, to those clients. And some, you know, I think we have to, you know, especially on the advisor side where we charge a fee for advice, we can, and I, you often had speakers on your, on your platform, you know, we, we can we can be a bit more not aggressive uh, but assertive in terms of the advice that we give because it's it is advice it's not based on the product um, and we need to sell our skills maybe better to end clients you know that this is really independent this is the best for you uh, I can help you but it's still the client's decision in terms of what they want to do with advice. And so sometimes we just need to back ourselves maybe a little bit more from a 
from a professional perspective, you know. The professional confidence, I, I like that. Because um, we, at the same time, when you speak to new entrants into the market that might have joined an insurance business, uh, they're very confident that they have a solution. They might not be sure of what the problem is, but here's a solution and mm. I need to find 100 people uh, to get this solution to. Uh, are clients more hesitant for that type of advice now than you know maybe in the in the past or do you think that most clients are still serviced through that model fair enough until their needs become more complex and then they look elsewhere louis i i mean i can just uh, speak to you from a canadian perspective mm. uh, you know the the way that it works here is that it's very transactional uh, even the way that the exams are set up to qualify as a a security advisor or uh, um, insurance agent, or even on the mutual fund side, it's very it's very product driven. Uh, from the sense of what is the what is the need for the client on that product, and what is advice around that one specific product or need. So definitely in Canada, and I assume in the states as well, it's it's more advice driven around a certain single need, as opposed to holistic advice so i think to some extent clients have been taught you know that direction and it's quite refreshing for clients when we speak to them uh, when we offer this holistic solution from advice from advice perspective the way that we've been trained in south africa and the uk and australia you know um so it is refreshing for clients when they see more the holistic kind of space um and even more so if you if you do explain that you charge a fee for advice, a dollar fee, as opposed to go on risk and hope that the client's going to buy a product. So it is a little bit foreign, um, you know, in, in Canada. I would say the market is three, four years behind, uh, behind the US, uh, behind the UK and Australia and South Africa from that perspective. It is slowly moving um, in the same direction, but it's very much more transactional than North American mindset when it comes to financial services in that you know i would say the the middle market uh you know obviously with your high net with individuals it's a very close tie and you know more attention has been given to the client but because of the cost of of employment that uh tier has moved up you know so anything under under half a million dollars you would maybe still find yourself as a as a very small client where it's more DIY kind of solutions and more transactional. And so that's the benefit that we can bring in as, as a South African, ex South African business into the market, you know, from let's offer more holistic planning uh, for clients the way that we just been trained. It's wonderful to hear that there's areas within the South African financial planning industry that's, that's more evolved and, that's maybe grown faster. Why do you think that is? I mean, why why haven't why are we behind? Why are we slightly ahead in terms of what what you're seeing in Canada? Any any guess? I mean, I won't hold you to this, but no, you know. But it's interesting because I I also had a a talk at Glacier um, a few months ago, and I said exactly the same to them to the panel is that you know we often think in South Africa that we're behind um, or that the products is not as superior or whatever, which is not the case. You know, like even critical illness product has been designed in South Africa. You know, if you look at, um, you know, I've worked many years um, in 
in the hedge fund space in South Africa, you know, so the hedge fund strategies that we have in South Africa is like world-class, you know, fund management is world-class, you know. So um, I think we need to give ourselves a lot more credit in South Africa from a financial services perspective, you know, both from the product side, technology, as well as advice. Yeah, and I said to the said to the guys at Glacier, there's no reason why a financial advisor in South Africa has to stand back from from the North American advisors. You know, there's there's no reason why you have to kind of think that um, that you're lesser or you can't offer the same solution for the client. And I I, I don't know um, other than we've always been taught that you make a plan. You know that if there's a problem for a client. Uh, you want to make a plan for the client and you want to look more holistically, uh, you know, after the client. Um, and maybe just because the opportunity set to grow your business in South Africa is smaller than in North America, uh, you have to think on your feet the whole time. You know, you have to think, how can I service this client better so that he's going to stay with me or he or she's going to stay with me? Yeah, so definitely, you know, the platforms are world-class, the products are world-class. Obviously, you sit with more investment opportunities that's maybe the only thing you know but if you can take clients money offshore put on a platform offshore and and be able to invest the money into different uh, investment opportunities there's really no difference or i wouldn't say no difference it just south africa is pretty good from the way that we deal with clients I like that. It's this again this theme of the professional confidence. You know, we don't need to stand back. Yes, I'm not saying uh, you know the tax code of America inside out. Um, if your client requires that type of advice, don't try and um, and pretend that you have that. But the way we conduct ourselves and the way we conduct business, um, I guess, for a certain part of the market, is on par and maybe exceeds um, what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, um, Louis, definitely on the on the banking side, you know, what is quite interesting is the banks, uh, the way that we do banking in South Africa is, is far ahead m- most Canadian and um, uh, U.S. banks from a, from a technology perspective and also integration between banks, you know. So to give you um, just a perspective on that, you know, I've spent more time in a branch bank this last five years than what I did the previous 40 years okay uh, when we lived in the UK 99 2000 uh, we had a checkbook in the UK moved back to South Africa obviously everything digitized Canada checkbook they would send a check from one platform to the other so if you do for example do a section 14 transfer between Glacey and, and Alan Gray it happens automatically, you know, money transferred. But here it will physically take a check from one platform to the other. So it just doesn't make sense. However, still with the old school way of doing it, um, the fraud is a lot less. With old paper trail banking is still a lot less than compared to compared to South Africa with digitization, yeah, which is just, it doesn't make sense. But the fact is that um, that the banking space, I mean, something like a e-transfer, it's difficult to do in, in Canada, you know, to transfer money from RBC, World Bank of Canada, over to Bank of Montreal um, is as similar as moving money from Canada to the US, okay? So, so it's not a matter of going into your bank uh, portal 
uh, like you, what you used to between Investec and EPSA, for example, just it's not going to happen, you know. So the only way to shift money from one place to the other is either to do a proper swift transfer to send a check or in Canada, you can transfer money through an email, you know. So that email transfer was groundbreaking 20 years ago, but it's still used in so uh, in Canada. Do you know if it was part of the PayPal team that did the email uh, wire transfers? I actually think the Canadian one was before PayPal on that ah. on that one. Yeah, so you still transfer money through email. It's a very interesting is, concept. Which is yeah, which is pretty secure. Um, but yeah, so that's just the way that it is. So so just to give you another sense is that uh, open banking is so busy happening in in the US, Canada. We're going to wait another year or two before open banking is coming through. You know. So the big banks do control a big part of the financial industry in in Canada yeah, from that perspective, um, which is good and bad. You know, um, we we didn't have that many uh, crypto blowups this last couple of months. You know, because it's been more conservative from that nature. You know, so that you always have a a uh, pro and con on all these discussions, you know, disadvantage if the market goes well, but it's a pro when that crashes again, you know, then, <laughs> then to some extent you, you're glad that you had the red tape uh, in the market. I can imagine from a, a tech business as well, just the gathering of data from banks, I'm assuming is a little bit more challenging than what we would have in South Africa and, and America. Yeah. And then the States a lot easier because of open banking. Uh, with portfolio managers across the world, it's always difficult to gather data. You know, um, very few of them sit on on new systems with APIs that you can pull data in. Uh, most of them are still with a flat file, you know, um, text or um, Excel file that you have to pull in. So that's that's still that's always the the difficulty within that sense. You know, um, but you just have to run with it. You just have to understand the market, understand where. Um, uh, you know, what the pain points are again, back to that same point, you know, and how you can solve it for yourself and maybe for, for your peers as well. Vincent, as we come to a close of this conversation, for for any South African that's considering moving their family abroad and that maybe want to start a career in the financial services, what what learnings can you share with them that might make that journey a little bit easier, assuming they've already put their mind to it and they're, and they're coming? It's just a matter of time. What, is there anything that you wish you knew before you moved? Louis, uh, maybe just as the outset, uh, anyone is welcome to contact me, you know, just to talk through some stuff there. Um, I think it's a lot easier now to find information than even um, eight years ago when, when we started the journey. There's a lot more South Africans here a lot more South Africans in the financial industry. So a lot more people that you can ask questions. You know, I yeah, I, I think Canada is, um, you know, it's a really open country um, compared to the States, for example. You know, when when we went to the uh, to the UK, um, as you would know, it's it's a very close um, culture. You know, if if you don't like soccer, you don't go to the pub, then you're not part of the culture. You know, as simple as that, you know. <laughs> In the states, it's you know they've got their own culture per state, you know, but it's not it's not super uh, you know open to different cultures. So definitely, in in Canada, it's um, you know we're going to sit with five hundred thousand new immigrants per year for the next three years. So one and a half million new people coming in. It's the biggest immigration that they're going to bring in since uh, the sixties. So um, expecting a lot of new people to come in. And that just allows 
really the rest of Canada to say, well, there's no bias if someone is not second generation Canadian. You know, it is kind of expected that you come from a different country. And so it's a lot easier to do business here compared to um, the US and I think the UK as well, you know, to open business. Now, it's not easy to open your own business, but it's doable, you know, because you can actually go out and present the solution and you would find someone to buy it. Um, obviously, with most 99% of the people moving over, they come over with employment and work for someone. If someone wants to move over as a financial advisor, it's doable. You know, I, I strongly recommend that, you know, if they want to do it, is you can still service your clients here uh, back to South Africa. So to keep on earning that income while you're learning the ropes and then slowly transition over to a practice in, in, in Canada, you know, or whatever country you're moving to, you know. So um, with what COVID learned taught us is that you can actually service those clients abroad, you know. I think the I think the big thing is just for people whether they want to start their own business or whether whether they want to go and work for someone. Advisors normally want to work for themselves, which you can, you know, from a just from a different jurisdiction. You can still service your clients from Canada or or the UK back to South Africa and, and start grounding yourself in that place. But there's nothing like being being here. You know, it's like anything. You have to be in the place where you're gonna live. You have to be walking the streets, you have to kind of feel the air meet people and be in that space. Um, and unfortunately, you, you know, you just have to learn, but there's a lot more people to speak to. The industry is set up differently, but it's all doable. You know, it's just a matter of putting your head down and, and know that this is the only game plan. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no option B. It's like anything, you know, when you start your business as well, Louis, there's like, this is it, you know, it has to work. Uh, we, we don't have an option, you know. Worst case scenario for me was, Move back with the parents and figure it out from there. Get a job. I don't think they would have appreciated that. <laughs> I'm sure my dad will be listening to this and uh, and laughing. Vincent, uh, I want to thank you for sharing your your high level view of the ventures that you've been involved in. I can see that you have a history of jumping in in the deep end and figuring out, but also enjoying that process. Thank you for bringing that positivity. And, and delight in this conversation. I wish you all the best in the future and thanks for being here. Louis, thank you so much. And um, yeah, just congratulations on your podcast series that you always um, go for. And and uh, yeah, so it did take us a few times to get to this point <laughs> with all the load sheddings and these kind of things. But um, listen, have a great Christmas. And uh, I really hope that your practice and, and your podcast series will go just go from strength to strength next year. Thank you, Vincent. All the best.